You're listening to Dish It Up, a monthly podcast serving up the latest news, trends, and events relating to the San Diego food scene. This podcast is recorded in a collaboration between Pacific Magazine and the Facebook group Eating and Drinking in San Diego. It is released on the second Monday of each month and hosted on the UT Podcast Network. If you want to continue the conversation, be sure to visit the EDSD group on Facebook and head to PacificSanDiego.com for updates on restaurant openings, new menus, chef profiles, and food forward events. Also be sure to check out Kiss My Glass, our sister podcast focusing on drinking around San Diego, which hits the podcast platforms on the fourth Monday of every month. Without further ado, here's your host, Edwin Real. This is Dish It Up, a collaboration podcast between Pacific Magazine and the Facebook group Eating and Drinking in San Diego. My name is Edwin Real, and my guest today is Sheep Riley. Hey there. Sheep owns Big Front Door. They have two locations, one on Park Boulevard and University Heights, and they have a satellite restaurant inside of Bottlecraft in Solana Beach. Yeah, exactly. Sheep, tell me about your new digs. Hi there. Yes, we have new digs. I guess we've been in there about six, seven months now, so it's just starting to feel like home. Kind of a forced move, so to say. We had the traditional landlord issues where a landlord passed away, the sun took over, and just wasn't having us so uh we wrapped up with our business partners at the time and and all of a sudden we're kind of left without a home we had a year to 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 get out yeah wow you know small operators we were pretty broke so we had to find a place that was turnkey ready to go literally as we were about to sign on this place in hillcrest we got in contact uh the seagulls reached out and and decided to help us out and wanted to keep us in the neighborhood um, and assisted in getting us a, a shop a half block away from our original shop at Incredible. the corner of Park and Polk. Yeah, so we're in this gorgeous, amazing building that's cool looking too. It's really, you know, the brand definitely fit in there with what they do. Um, couldn't have done it without them, and we have a great new shop. It's got a big patio. Our beer and wine license is going to be online any week now, and it's kind of 2.0. Here we go. And uh, Jonathan Siegel? Yes, Jonathan The architect. Siegel, the architect, and, developer. Um, developer. Yep, he has, you know, many buildings in town. He's he's definitely invested in the neighborhoods and some other smaller restaurants and restaurant groups and really gets them going. You know, it's it's kind of part of their business model. And fortunately for all of us in the uptown area and midtown, you're still in the hood. We're still in the hood. It was really important to us, you know. Um, there weren't a lot of options. We were looking towards Hillcrest just because there was some stuff. But, yeah, to be able to stay in the neighborhood is it's priceless. We've worked really hard to establish ourselves there. It's kind of a, it's a funky little part of town. Yeah. You know, uh, University Heights is kind of coming into its own as well. Overall, we're kind of out of that business district, but there's so much going up on on down there. It's, it's really amazing. And to be part of that is, is really part of the reason I moved to San Diego in the first place in 2000. So the underrated thing about University Heights is actually, especially where you are, is there's never a parking issue. You can park right, or you know, There's, ten feet away from your from your shop. Like you're exactly there. right. There's parking, and I and I like to say it's really like, it's a locals part of town. Yep. There's we we get tourists, and I get people up from the park, and and all that, and you know, especially people that search out our style of restaurant or you know, kind of sandwich place. People, you know, sandwich people follow sandwiches. It's it's people in the neighborhood. It's it's people in San Diego. I mean, we feed a lot of the 
administrators in the park, you know, the people that run the zoo and they run the museums, you know, when they're getting out of the park and taking a quick second, they come up to us. You're so, five minutes from North Park, yeah. five minutes from Hillcrest. Mission Valley. I mean, our, our, our location, it's so centrally located, it's really interesting. But it's also kind of no man's land. Yeah. I'm in University Heights. Across the street is Hillcrest. Behind me is North Park. I'm not in any business improvement district formally, so it's yeah. like I, I'm, we're out there kind of floating on our own, but, you know. So how, what got you into University Heights in the first place? Because your original location, like you said, was about half a block away. Um, yeah, we actually saw so our, our business partners originally had purchased the European Market in Delhi. Oh, that's that what was it was. There. Yeah. Yep, and um, we actually got brought in to kind of transition it into something else, and that's how Big Front Door was born. That was... 2012, seven years ago, celebrating. So, um, you know, it's been a long haul. It's not easy being a small independent operator, as we all know. Yeah, or right. If you don't know, it's now you know. Now you know. <laughs> <laughs> you should know. But yeah, so we kind of ended up there by chance, really. And it wouldn't be a place where you're like, oh, this is just this awesome high profile location. It was kind of like, oh, you know, we can make this work. And I remember kind of getting in the location and seeing the people walk by and go to Sprouts. And it's like, oh, we can get by just feeding off that, basically. There is enough foot traffic right here to make it work. So yeah. um, it was supposed to just kind of be slap up some paint, change the name, and go. But the facility was not up to par. So all of a sudden, it was like this full Studs. gut it and re Yeah, it was <laughs> that notorious story, four times over budget. And um, we got to build BFD. And... Let it rip. Where were you before? I was the general manager at Kensington Grill. So I worked for Tracy for a combined six years, actually. Uh, Tracy Borkham, who does Cucina Urbana. Ken she did Kensington Grill, which is now Cucina Sorella. Yeah. Um, they just won a Michelin bib. Yes. I was at the celebration of the 10-year Cucina anniversary on Monday. So just, you know, that's my family. That's yeah. my, my, my industry family. Uh, honestly, it was... Uh, I was a general manager, and Chef Hannes Cavan was the chef. Yeah. So, you know, it was me and him, front and back house. So I am one of the unique types that I'm a hybrid. I've done equal parts pretty much front and back of house, both, you know, as general manager and chef, executive chef, all of that. So Big shout-out to Hannes big and shout Sarah. Out. Absolutely. Um, I mean, they're doing a, a porchetta shack now. The porchetta shack, yes. And, I mean, we go all the way back to 2000, 2001, I was executive sous chef at Indigo Grill with Deborah Scott, also Kimosabi. So Hannes was at Dakota at the same time. Yeah. Sarah was also a manager at Indigo Grill. So we've really, we've really grown up in the industry together here. Awesome. Yeah. How much has your area changed? Your neighborhood changed? It's changed quite a bit, and different things contribute to that. I mean, you know, right on my street, they put the rapid transit bus system right up the middle, which is, you know public transit working honestly people complained and said nobody would ride it and it is packed every day i take it yeah no it's a it's a great addition to the city yeah i feel like the neighborhood is actually just kind of coming into its own there's a lot of change about to happen park boulevard is crazy right it's now. there's density is happening you know there's el cajon right around the corner there's 170 units about to open we're Lusty Motors is. There's 500 units going in on that corner. What? Yeah. Holy cow. So the Lusty Motors all the way around the church. The church is already roped off, so that's it's happening. Um, so we're about to see a lot of change. It's going to be dense. You know, you um, you talked about your 
your struggles with the landlord. That's something I'm hearing more and more of. You know, people have success and all of a sudden the landlord wants to jack up the price. You know, the former owner dies, like in your situation. Kids take over and they want above market. What 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 can we do about that as as uh, as business owners to you know to kind of well, avoid that besides buying a building? That's I mean that's the ultimate right there. And I mean I think you go back to even when you go to New York, the places that have been there forever, they own the property. That's yeah. just how it goes. You know, make sure that you have all the details worked out for as many years as you hope to be there is part of it. Some of it's inevitable, you know. Yeah. Um, I even remember being at one of the California Restaurant Associations, just kind of discussions and panels, and, and George was there from George's, and even he was still having, you know, issues with his landlord, whether the surcharge that they're putting on is part of his revenue that he's getting back to the landlord. I mean, it doesn't stop. Even for the biggest of big guys, they're still having landlord issues. Uh, that's a that's a good topic. What do you feel about those surcharges? What's uh, it is it, a good topic. It's, it's a hot one, too. Because yeah. um, you can't win. No. I think when it started happening, we opted to kind of step back and feel it out because there is no answer. There is no guideline for this. And we are at a point in the industry where certain things have to happen for us to survive. I think ultimately with the social experiment, I would say I go opt to raise prices. I yeah. mean, I think the general public has pointed that out. That's what they want to see. Right. I don't know if they want to actually see those prices, though. <laughs> if that makes sense, I mean. I mean, your sandwiches would be eighteen dollars if you <laughs> wanted. To, yeah. <laughs> if you wanted to do fair market, I mean. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I don't do a surcharge, and we probably haven't kept up enough with raising prices. But you know, it's like that balance. We're already perceived as on the top end and as, and as expensive. Now, sometimes it's like, well, maybe I should be more expensive. So we actually are. <laughs> Because, I mean, a bean and cheese burrito is seven, eight bucks now. Yes. I mean, you got to look at that. So to get a premium world-class sandwich for ten, eleven isn't that ridiculous. I got a breakfast burrito the other day. It was $10. <laughs> there you go. I you mean, could have had a real breakfast. <laughs> right? Well, no, the real breakfast is $12, 14 now. So I, I do wish that there was more of a standard set for how we all navigate through the transition of higher minimum wages and and that being such an effective chunk of our operational costs. But, you know, everybody's trying what they can. Yeah. You know? I think ultimately what it is, it's like people want to support you, but they don't want to pay the prices to support you. That's pretty common factor. And then you're in a position where, you, like I said, you can't win. It's like you have to raise prices, but then when you do it, you price yourself out of their budget. And, oh, I can make that sandwich at home. You can make anything at home, actually. You can make anything at home. I remember there was an article, a Thrillist article that came out about 2015 talking about the restaurant bubble that was about to burst. And a lot of it explained that customer expectation of what they wanted and what they thought they were getting or what they perceived they could get for what they were paying, especially with the farm-to-table movement. So, I mean, it's just that thing. I mean, a lot of these products that we'd love to serve to the general public cost so much money that it would be an eighteen or twenty dollar sandwich. Yeah, and you're the, doing everything in house. In house, curing meats. You're yep. roasting, you know, your products, and you're also supporting a lot of local businesses. You know, last time I was in, you had Cafe Moto. Uh, Moto's a huge one. Yeah. 
specialty produce. Um, and these are partners of mine that I've worked with for upwards of 20 years in town now. Um, and they've even fed onto the second generation of other roasters and that and encourage it. You know, I think it's, it's what really creates a really healthy restaurant industry. You know, we like each other. We support each other. Yeah. We get out there and, and make each other's brands what they are, you know, because I always say product selection is as much as preparation and right. when it comes out at the end of the day. And if you're going to charge, you have to bring the products. There's nothing worse, in my opinion, than going to a restaurant, being overcharged or being charged something. And you look at the food and you're like, this is from Restaurant Depot, this pasta, you know, I, I don't mind paying extra if that pasta was made in house, you know, but charging something for a, a, a macaroni and rich macaroni product. Give me a break. And yeah, it's it's done a lot. Yeah. And it, I think from an operator standpoint, you have to realize that people know what they're eating now. They're they they they're educated. They're educated, and and they're going to know what's your passing yeah. or not. So, you know, and I always feel like that with a lot of products. We always try and go like quality because I feel like you can look at something and you can tell like, is it a quality product? Like, there's no, you know, I can say it came from wherever. Do I even know? Maybe I was told that. I don't really have, unless I know the farmer or I'm like have that relationship with them where it's coming to me direct. I, they can put a sticker on it that says organic. I don't. I don't know. Right. I mean, you know, when you're at the farmer's market, you can tell. You see that produce, and you can tell it's. It's still got dirt on it. Yeah, sometimes. you can tell it's not like that perfect shape and stuff. But all in all, I feel a lot of times that you don't know when you're in the stores or you're just passing or picking. Like things get, they could put it in an organic box. Who knows. What's tougher, rent or increasing wages? I'd have to say increasing wages because rent, you know what you're getting into with rent. It's there. It's on paper. You knew what you signed up for. The increasing wages start coming through on every single product that you have. Yeah. But that's not bad for society. You know, we need to increase wages. We need to pay people they need to be able to afford to live in our city yeah. and work. So, you know, it's harder to deal with, but rent sucks more. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately what has to happen is the, uh, the, the, the eating public and the drinking public have to realize all these factors ultimately will mean higher prices in, in dining out and, yes. you know, you accept it or you eat at home. Yeah. Uh, there is the the factor that we do not have in this state, the tip credit. I don't know if that's a hot button or not, but that could be something that would lighten the load somewhat of operators. And that's where the fact you can count what they make in tips and documented tips apply towards minimum wage. I mean, in all honesty, I have sandwich makers. I, you know, I have a 16 year old, it's her first job and she's making almost $18 an hour. Yeah. Probably more than you make. <laughs> Absolutely, every every one of my employees makes more than I do. Yeah, definitely. Um, tipping or no tipping? What tipping? No, but I mean, um, in general, would would you rather be in a society where we tip or don't tip? I, I don't. I, I'm either way. It just needs to be consistent. That and that's where that's the the issues that we're at. As an operator, I see the factor of, hey, let me take control of all that money and put it into operational places that I need. You're allowed to do that now, right? No. 
I don't think operationally. Because there's a, a tip pool. Tip pool, but it can't go towards yeah, it goes health to the insurance. Employee. It all has to go directly to employees. Right. So, um, whereas if it weren't tipping and it was all just revenue and it was in the cost of that, that's when you can start it would be much more manageable for us to be able to offer health insurance and, and some other benefits like that. But. I, I totally see both sides. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's like, okay, what, uh, what's more important? You know, People say it's, it's about being in a situation where a diner shouldn't control how, you know, how much they pay, right? Yeah. And it's up to a diner to tip anywhere from 10 to 25%. And you have to kiss a, a server, or a server has to kiss your ass. But then the other side is, wrap it up. Let's let's just say a sandwich is twenty dollars, tax tip included. I can see both. I, likewise, yeah. you know, and and I think that's it. There's there is no right answer, and we're starting to get both sides of it now. Um, I haven't checked in and see how the the Danny Meyer experiment is going. I don't know if he still is not taking gratuity. I know that the experiment in San Diego with that did not go well. Not at all. A lot well, of pushback. It's not necessarily true because uh, right down the street, a tapas bar, mm-hmm. just across the street from, from the Union Tribune, I think it was called like Bar Europa, and they were yeah, yeah, yeah. they were tip, uh, tip-free too, and nobody ever made an issue of it, right? I think the problem there, and I, you're referring to the linkery, yeah. you know, uh, first of all, they didn't have great service. You know, and so when you went in there and you are all of a sudden pay, forced to pay 18% more with no gratuity um, for a service charge, it's one thing to have that, yeah. but then it's another thing to have like not great service. No, and that's again, it starts shifting into that mentality almost, and especially in this city, of restaurants and serving coming from like pickup jobs to actual profession yeah you know um we're we're starting to see front of house and service staff really become professional and you're starting to get an older service staff in this city i mean you go to other major cities and there is professional service staff they've been doing it for years making a hundred thousand dollars so much money and they make so (laughs) much money i mean the real and there's and there's the other side too there's something about being taken care of by a professional server that it's something else. I mean, it's what they do. They know exactly what you need, <laughs> what when you need it. They know what pairs with what. You pay for that. You pay for that. Yeah. And I mean, they have opened so many bottles of wine and handled so many corks and tasted so many wines. And you know, I. So it's it's you know, once that juxtaposition kind of starts to settle into place, where it's almost more accepted or people are even striving to to become that or to provide that hopefully it will start to settle out which way we're going to go with it you yeah, know but you're right like the 16 year old coming uh, you know having four hours of shift because they can't work much more than that legally shouldn't be well i don't i don't want to say shouldn't be but you know they're making more money than the 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 cook sometimes and yeah there's i a, mean an unfairness to that it's insane yeah. that they're making 16 17 18 dollars an hour you know and the most you can pay your cook is like 15 because you, you can't really tip well that's where the tip pool comes into yeah, play exactly. and it becomes effective and now Thank our tip God pool is that. a pool it all goes in it all goes into the hourly yeah. you know because everybody in their job description is take care of those customers yep and because you are a uh, fast casual counter yes. service place 
that kind of thing works. Works. Whereas if it was fine dining, uh, it would be a little bit more difficult. It's to... a little more difficult. I've seen it. I've seen it both sides, and sometimes the tip pool can be really interesting. Um, I remember doing a guest chef at this place, Roy's. Well, it's not this place, Roy's, which is famous. There's several locations. There was one up in UTC. I'm not sure if it's still there. Um, was back for one of their anniversaries. But they ran a different kind of system that I'm still intrigued by, basically where it was a tip pool, and their expediter was kind of above their servers and called all the shots. So the ser- And he was in the middle. So the yeah. server would go take the order, and then the expediter would watch the tables, fire the next courses, get the food out, like kind of just orchestrate this whole thing. And they also brought all their service staff in I bet you this doesn't happen anymore, but (laughs) they brought all their service staff in, set up the dining room, went over, ate, looked at the reservations, and then started cutting people if they didn't need them. So it was like that place was like totally ready to go, totally dialed in. You had this one person on point that kind of like guided the service from the top and was paying attention to the food. Now, if you came in and got cut, you still got a cut of the tips for the night because you set up. Oh, that's cool. So it was like this tip pool that like really nurtured and took care of everybody in the whole house, which was, again, it still interests me almost 20 years later because yeah. it was like, how do, how do you make that work? Now, I'd be interested to see if they still go that route because bringing everybody in that early, it's got to just cost a awesome. fortune. Yeah. So. Um, I, I remember being in a restaurant in New York and it was the first time I saw this because, you know, it just doesn't happen very much in San Diego where you go to a restaurant and there's a tip for the wait staff, and then there's a tip for the captain, right? And so the captain, he's the floor leader, and he's making sure that, like, kind of like the expediter, but on the floor, yes. just making sure everything is taken care of. And I was like, what do you tip that guy, <laughs> you know? Because I didn't really see him, but how much do you tip that guy? That's interesting. I, I've never seen a separate line for it. Most of the captain service I would be familiar with, the captain would actually take be in charge of all the tips and delegate them out to everybody else. I don't know if anyone in town does the captain service. Mr. A's maybe. Yeah, They maybe. may have captains, I think. That's old school. So that Even is. the Marine Room doesn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> the, place, the last place I honestly had captain service was at the Eiffel Tower restaurant in Vegas. Oh, yeah? Years ago. Yeah, it was kind of a cool experience, too. I mean, it is that full. You just have so many people taking care of you. You know, there's something to be said about great service. Like, you still remember that kind of thing years and years later. I'm still remembering at uh, Ruth's Chris. Yep. We were at a, it was our anniversary, and we were in Palm Desert, okay. Palm Springs. And the service there was so fantastic that I still remember, like, intimately what, what, what went on during my service, you know? It's... It's as important as the food, and I think it's forgotten sometimes. It's some of the best experiences. You know, some of the worst meals can be made up to the best experiences by just the service. Um, I'll I'll say even, you know, one of our favorites in town is Blue Point for years. And Laura, my wife, and I had our first official date there in 2000. Wow. Almost 20 years ago. And it was a great night. We're still together. You're still together. That server is still there. Wow. We can go sit down. And I mean, it's just that place that they've all been working together so long that they all just take care of the customers. It's yeah. just this, it's a show. It's like this orchestrated show that the dance goes off every night. 
And and ultimately what it is, it's that familiarity, right? Mm-hmm. You know that when you go there, you're going to get taken care of. And they say hi to you. They know you by your name, even if you've just been there three or four times. And there's something to be said about being a regular and having a local. And, you know, all these little things that people, because in our industry now, you know, it's, there's so many restaurants. There's 3,500 restaurants in San Diego. Yes. And one bad experience will turn you off, right? Yep. And, you know, we were talking about this uh, in, in the waiting room <laughs> yeah. earlier today, and it's like, we all have bad days. We all have bad days. You know, you don't know what a restaurant owner or a chef or a waiter was going through. And here's the thing. You could go in there having a bad day, and anything will set you off. So if you have a bad day, like I always say on um, on eat eating and drinking in San Diego, talk to a manager, talk to, talk to your server, talk to somebody because I know you, you would never let someone leave being unhappy with something. You'd go above and beyond. Never intentionally. Yeah. You know, maybe I did have a bad day and maybe I'm not paying as much attention to it at the moment, but long-term it's not ever that I don't care. You know, I care more about my food and my restaurant and my customers than anything else in this world, really. Absolutely. Uh, aside from the fact they pay all my bills, I love what I do. It's, yeah. it's what we do. I mean, I look at my wife, um, who I should also mention is my business partner and gets me through all of this. I'm sorry she's not here right now. Um, it's like sometimes, you know, it doesn't pay really at all even. And we look at each other, it's like, what are we doing this for? I keep you know? reiterating to people six you know? to ten percent, and you have a fantastic business. Yeah, you, you know? know, and it's looking. It's like it's what we do. You know, if Let's I'm not think doing about it for that. myself, for every hundred dollars, the owner operator takes home six dollars of that. At best, at best, and that's someone running a successful business. Yeah. You so know? when you think about that, you know those bad Yelp reviews, those bad, you know those bad word of mouth because you had a bad day or a bad experience is it really worth it to trash a place without first giving them an opportunity because I know for a fact that if we went into a dental office and we had a bad day you know and yeah. they treated you what would you know you'd, you'd say something yeah and uh, I just I sometimes I guess I just don't get the effort put towards towards dismay and dislike out there you know, yeah. exactly. It, and that's exactly it. Why really, if I go and have a horrible experience, I'm probably not going to tell anybody. Right. We're just not going to go back and I'm going to put support towards the places that I like, yeah. because I mean, that's just my nature. I'm like, I'm more into like pushing things that I like and making sure the people that, that are doing, have been busting their butts for years, get it, you know, cause it is, there are a lot of restaurants and as important it is to have that feeling of being a regular it's as important right now to to be a regular at these restaurants and and nurture those relationships. And maybe if you do go in and have a bad experience out of the twenty you've been in, definitely let them know. You know, they want to fix it. You know, now there's the, all the newbies, the the hot poop right now. I'm on to the next thing. I'm doing this. What's so cool? What's that? I saw this. These are my expectations. You know, we're always going to be up against that. Sometimes it is disheartening to see the effort those types of people will put out to to just jab at you for really for no reason. I think it's really they just like seeing them, their own comments up there. Yeah, you know, right. it's like really for their own pleasure and stuff because it's, I don't know, I don't see why you'd put that much hate out there. But, you know, it's the yin and yang. It can't be all good. That's life. It's just the way it goes. Well, speaking of all good, 
Tell us how you got into the uh, uh, bottle craft up in Solana Beach. Oh, yes. Um, you know, I had met Brian Jensen, the owner, just kind of through passing throughout the years. Um, we had sat and just kind of chatted business. You kind of do that as an independent operator. You try and meet some other people you like. You sit back, have a couple beers, and kick around ideas. And didn't really think anything of it. And I basically got a phone call one day like, hey, man, looking at this place. There's a kitchen in there ready to go. It's got this. I'm pretty sure your your concept would work in there. And it did. It had like a double stack convection oven and sandwich table. Walk in. You know, it's pretty ready to go. And uh, our brands definitely match up. He wanted some food in there. And yeah, so we just went for it. That was a little over two years ago. Pushing three, I guess. So. Um, and Solana Beach is treating you well? Yeah, it's treating us pretty well. It's, it's you know, not... It's kind of underserved. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a funky little sleepy beach community, you know? Um, I like, it gets us out there. It keeps me within the beer community. There's some great breweries up north. It's definitely gets a different kind of, a different beer community than down here even. For sure. And, you know, mixes it up. It's manageable. It's one employee of mine on any given day. Oh, is that it? Yeah. So oh, they totally it's like just one person in the kitchen with a printer. They take care of all the service stuff. And, yeah, it's a neat collaboration. So it's not too crazy busy, but it's it's definitely worthwhile. And I think again, they're doing good things, Bottlecraft. The one in um, North Park, they have a Venissimo. The Venissimo's in there. It's perfect. Yeah, you know, well, again, it's just trying to get to work with like-minded people where they're just kind of pushing the industry as a whole rather than just like this little finite thing you know um brian works really hard on getting amazing beer um i've always come from a wine background i guess i should say i've always done beer too kind of a jam band guy hippie over the years (laughs) through the 90s (laughs) wine has always been more of my forte and experience and specializing and formulating wine lists and all that i've really got open to the the different styles of beer and a lot of it with bottle craft and his tap lists they're all different at the shops. They're all kind of formulated to the little neighborhoods they're in, and they're all amazing. Where do you live? Uh, I live in Mission Hills. Yeah, actually, yeah. The, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the smaller side of Mission Hills. I basically live behind Lucha Libre. Oh yeah, there's we like that stairwell. That, right? Yeah, my secret staircase. Yeah, you know. Do you ever eat at Lucha Libre? Uh, if it's late, uh, my my jam is Dos Brasas right around the corner is hell yeah way more authentic. You can know? you tell them? Um, can you ask them why they got rid of that Philly burrito? <laughs> <laughs> Which one, Dos Brasas? Yeah, or, uh, you know I haven't tried that one. I always just go to the side of there. Is it? Yeah. Huh. I'll check it out. But I love that shop. You know, it's a it competes as we say. As, as we say, <laughs> you, you know what I like there actually is their cheeseburger. <laughs> Awesome. I mean, awesome. that's that's one of the like unspoken secrets of the taco shops in San Diego. They, most of them have a real mean cheeseburger. Yep, it's got a little oh, bit of man. that Mexican flair to it. Well, Shredded lettuce. Griddle. Oh man, it's so good. <laughs> I put salsa on there. Oh, perfect. So, and my other one, La Posta, the classic. I mean, again, that just goes back to the. I lived across the street in twenty four hours. That hot sauce. <laughs> that hot sauce. And the special quesadilla is. Tell me about that. Oh, so they take the big tortillas, two of them, and they make a quesadilla out of it. So it's like a giant, it's, you know, a 24 inch quesadilla. Jeez. And then they roll a carne asada burrito out of that. (laughs) (laughs) I've never, you like split it with somebody. It's like four or five pounds. It's insane. Jeez. So good. That's a lot of tortilla. Goo. Cheesy goo. I'm 
kind of bummed for Hillcrest. Hillcrest has got so many great commercial properties, and the restaurants just die in the vine there. I wish I knew. Because if you go to my background, I when I moved to town in 2000, I started at Kimosabi. Um, that part of town was a dining destination. There was Kazumi, there was Pizza Nova, which my wife worked at. Um, Bombay, Corvette Diner, Corvette. Bombay, and it was humming. Every yeah. night of the week, it was just, you know, there were people up there. It was fun. And I, I, that is actually a perfect textbook example of greedy landlords. They all raised the rent too much. They did not care about having valuable restaurants and long businesses term. in there long term. Because yeah. even Laura's company, Pizza Nova, wanted to invest a bunch of money to put a bar in and update it. They never got any response from the landlord, and all they did was double their rent. Jeez. And it's been, I guess, RB Sushi is cruising along in there, but you know, that's the second or third thing after. Yeah. And then, you know, you have um, Snooze Across that's killing it. That's one of the conundrums of San Diego, yeah. you know, the, the Snooze effect. And actually, with Snooze, it's interesting because they're one of the few outsiders that successfully came into town and Absolutely. have done well. Because a lot of outsiders, they don't fare so well here. You know, I mean, they the bar next door closed after 18, it's, 24 months. Uh, it's it's something you got to, you know, I, I, I think their PR team navigated it correctly before. I think they were a time and place thing, too. They came in at that right time where breakfast was Just not, having its moment, not yeah. represented well at all. You had the mission. You had, you know, some things. Totally different story right now. Yeah. As with most trends and styles of San Diego or any city for that matter. You know, breakfast is one of those things where if I owned a restaurant, it would be like I would do breakfast and then I would close up shop. It's a good model, you yeah. know. Um, I did Six to three. <laughs> I, I ran one of the missions for about a year and it's it's cool. It is cool to shut down at three and like you're done at four. You're like, whoa. Yeah. Now, of course, I had to have a second job. I went and weighed tables at night, but <laughs> <laughs> there's just no tips and. <laughs> In breakfast. Well, we had just bought our condo, so oh, yeah. you know, that first that first year of a condo, you work as much as you have to. Right. Where do you eat besides uh, you know your local tacos? <laughs> um, well, Ponce's. <laughs> we eat at Ponce's. I won't lie. It's you know shout it's out to Mikey food. and Ponce and Rocio and the family and everybody that's taking care of us. Over I think the it's years. fifty years this almost year, right? fifty years. Yeah. You know, and that's that's an institution. I can only ever hope to get near to achieve, um, you know, and we eat at Cucina, I should say, you know, I used to be much more avid on getting out to dine. Not so much these days. Um, we usually cruise across the street to Hunter Proof. We'll stop by Fort Oak Trust, you know, Brad and Steve are good friends of ours. That's the, the probably the, my, my favorite restaurant group right now. Those guys just open up things and, they're, they're, they, they're they genuine. Yeah. You know, they, they really, I mean, they genuinely have their heart and soul into all of it. And um, for years, I ran Firehouse down in Pacific Beach for, gosh, about three years. I opened that up and that was a beast. But they were all at Tower 23 when I was yeah, at Firehouse. So that's when I started nurturing that relationship. So we again, we've kind of kind of grown up in the industry together here and grown the industry together here in San Diego. Um is that the future of uh, San Diego restaurants? Not independent owners, but restaurant groups? Probably. I can tell you as an independent, it is hard. 
it is hard to be the little guy. Um, I, I think that model's been there for a while. Now, there's different types of restaurant groups. You have multi-concept operators and you have you know, your, your single or, or maybe one or two concepts where they're doing multiple of the same, so to say, where you have your, like, <clears throat> your Breakfast Republics with Johan. Yeah. He does a couple odd, you know, off-the-cuff ones, but mainly focused on moving forward with Breakfast Republic. He's got and, three breakfast concepts right now. Yeah. Breakfast Republic, Fig Tree, and now North Park. North Park. Uh, breakfast Company. And they're all different enough, yeah. you know? Um, he's a dear friend of mine and another person we've grown together. I, I'm going to North Park Breakfast Company a couple of weeks ago for the the soft opening was amazing. It's like how you did it, man. You you took a while, but you did it. Well, <laughs> hey, it always takes a while. That one did take an extra long time, but hey, you opened what eight restaurants in the middle? You know, Jesus, I can't imagine. No, I can't imagine. Can't imagine. Well, I guess when you're playing with other people's money, it's not that hard <laughs> to imagine. And then you have a you have a strong concept. Strong concept, great people to execute it. I mean, I know his team. They're awesome. They're committed, and they love what they do. He owns El El, El Hardin. El Hardin. Um, that's that was his big risk. It's going well, you know. It got a bib. It got a bib. Yeah. So. Oh man, it, I almost did. I blew it. I know the day where they were in there, my shop was a mess. Oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it was like, who's there's who's that dude that's been sitting there for a while? It was it was an off day, you know, and then yeah. like. I watched him get up, and he got into the suburban, parked outside with a driver waiting. And Damn, I, and you knew it. <laughs> and then the next day, it was like the inspectors are out, and I was like, "Oh, oh that was him!" And I was this close to Triple D too. I went through all the interviews, hours worth of interviews. So it's been an almost kind of year, but you know, you know what? Next year's your year. <laughs> I'm cool with almost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're in the frame, hey. Right? I we were up for a gold medallion this year with uh, California Restaurant Association, and uh, there's three. We made it to the top three. We were up against Luna Grill, which has 51 locations. Wow! And the entire Liberty Public Market. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. It was big front door, Luna Grill, Liberty Public Market. The only thing big about your Dave is the front door. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, but hey, we got noticed. Yeah. We were there, so that's that's good enough for me. So speaking of big front door, tell me about some of the things that you're uh, thinking about doing. You have this new space, lots more room. Yeah, a lot of room. Uh, beer and, our beer and wine license will be online, like I said, any week now. So once that goes, I'm really um, focusing on kind of filling out the mornings and evenings. We have a pretty solid lunch business. Breakfast menu's in place. Does pretty well, but you know, with champagne on the weekends, I can really start to push that. Um, I'm also working on some dinner stuff. So again, I'm really kind of coming from a down home, get people to gather on that patio, be able to drink some wine, really trying to keep it in a reasonable format where, you know, the neighborhood can come and sit and not blow the bank every night. So hopefully some shared stuff and flatbreads and I do smoked wings up north that are really good, cheese boards. Nice. And you know, with the cheese boards, I realize like I have all these great smoked meats that I prepare and it's like utilize just you it's like oh i put this with that and this with that and you know it's it's substantial and it's you know do you make your own bread no i was gonna I say almost that's crazy. we almost got into it um i do know how to make bread i love baking and desserts as much as i love chefing and but your volume that. is so crazy it's just too much it's you have to it's non-stop that would put it around the clock and if you mess up your bread man that'd be a bad day bad day and there's a lot of good bakeries in town we use sadie rose um 
that's that's one thing that that can be done effectively by someone else. But yeah, we smoke and roast all the meats. Like the ham comes in as ham, so I put another six hours of smoke on it. Um, I I don't cure our bacon. I won't lie, but I use amazing bacon. But yeah. It, you know, you know th- at the end of the day, that's what you do as an operator. You do everything that you can in house, yep, and then source the best that you can at your at a price point that you know that you can. That's exact. That's a you know. Thank you for putting into play like that. You're exactly right, and like that quality thing. Like I know I can get so much out of a customer. Like yeah. what's the coolest thing I can do for them that's going to make it all work? Because you have to give them value, you know. Going back to Cowboy Star, people always say, oh, that, that place is expensive. I said, no, it's actually a value because what is value? It's, value is about getting what you pay for. Exactly. Right? And when you get into proteins like that, especially that are cared for on every single component from when they're being raised to when they're being prepared, you're going to pay for it. And I know for, for a fact that Chef Victor over there at Cowboy Star goes up to Colorado, goes yes. up to the farms, Snake River Farms, and you know, pets the animals that he's going to serve six months down the road. Back to what I'm talking about. It's a legitimate, trusted, established source yeah. of, of where it's coming from. I, I know that when you go to Cowboy Star, you're getting exactly what they say you're getting. Right. I, I think that's the point that I'm trying to make with you, too, yeah. is that, yes, you can go to Subway and get a $5 foot long. <laughs> But you're getting what you pay for. Hey, At Big Front Door, it is a little bit pricier. It is. It's a premium. It's, you know? but, but you do get what you pay for. You, Sadie Rose is not a cheap bakery to get no. bread from. You can go to Restaurant Depot. You can go to Cisco and get bulk bread. But then it's, you'll feel cheated. Yep. No, I, I laugh when sometimes I, I kind of come from a mentality of, you know, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're doing nice tires, really nice <laughs> tires on there. But there's also you know kind of push back was like hey why is this expensive or why is this taking so long it's like hey when you go get the best of something is it fast and cheap right like a lot of times if you're getting the best of something sometimes you're getting put on a waiting list for uh, till they say you're ready yeah they're ready to take care of you so and i don't ever want that mentality but we put that much care into all our food that's like no it's not fast and no it's not cheap it is a value it's a value can you give us um, wh- how do we follow you online? All and- right, let's see. Online, pretty much all of our Instagram stuff like that is at BFD San Diego. Um, we kind of push the BFD thing. Uh, my personal stuff is Chef Sheep, so I'm at Chef Sheep. Um, Addresses for the yes, two locations. Uh, our flagship store is 4075 Park Boulevard. Um, we're Suite 101, but you get near that building, you'll see us right there. It's in the gorgeous Park and Polk Jonathan Siegel building. All rental units. Some are available sometimes. You can live. I've been in one of those. Uh, they're, oh, they're fantastic. They're all different, too. It's a yeah. really, really cool building. Um, and then we have Bottlecraft Solana Beach with big front door inside. That's 437 Highway 101. It's in Beach Walk. So there's like a California pizza kitchen in there. We're right next to Crush. So, right. yeah, that one's – you can have beer there now. Go check out the tap list. Sheep Riley, thank you very much for coming in, bringing us treats. Thank you for um, being who you are and what you do. And you've always been generous to the community. You've always given back to people who love you, support you. So go and support this man and his businesses. Awesome. Thanks for the support and thanks for having me, Edwin. Awesome. You've been listening to Dish It Up, a monthly collaboration between Pacific Magazine and the Facebook group Eating and Drinking in San Diego, hosted on the UT Podcast Network. 
A special thanks to our sound editor, John Kelly, for making sure you can hear us loud and clear. I'm Sarah Butler, staff writer at Pacific Magazine, and I'm here to wrap up with a few food and drink events coming to San Diego. Estancia Hotel and Spa in La Jolla invites all tequila fans to a garden party on July 12th. Enjoy tequila and margarita tastings while eating Baja-inspired dishes and listening to live mariachi music. Learn more at meritagecollection.com. On July 14th, start off the last day of San Diego Pride with Out in Little Italy, a Pride brunch at Little Italy Food Hall. Brunch tickets include bottomless mimosas, food offerings, and a one-way shuttle to the Pride Festival in Balboa Park. Buy tickets at sdpride.org slash event slash Little Italy. San Diego Comic-Con is right around the corner, and so is Stone Brewing's annual HopCon celebration in Little Italy. On July 18th, HopCon 7.0 offers 15 three-ounce tasters, unlimited food samples, a silent disco, a costume contest, and more. Head to stonebrewing.com for details. The San Diego County Fair may be over, but the fun in Del Mar continues. Burgers and Brews Invitational returns to the racetrack on July 20th, serving attendees five craft beer tastings and unlimited samples of burgers, french fries, and tater tots. Tickets include racetrack admission and are available at dmtc.com. This is just a first serving of great food and drink events. More can be found at pacificsandiego.com. Be sure to follow Pacific on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the handle at PacificSD for more cool events to keep you busy all year long. Cheers!